So from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, he will not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither, life, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hey everyone, it's great to be with you, isn't it so cool when God does stuff like that? Um, some of you will be feeling tired from convention, as has been mentioned a few times already, but God can bring dead people to life, so I reckon he can wake us up with these wonderful truths contained in this passage. Uh, this is a talk that I uh, spoke uh, on uh, a little while ago at our 10am and 4pm services, so if you're from those services, you will have heard this before, but it's such a a good passage. I'm sure you'll bear with us uh, tonight. Uh, if you open uh, your booklet, uh, you'll see under the passage that we had read, uh, there are a bunch of words there. Now, I want you, to, if you've got a pen, you might want to pull that out. Uh, and if you don't, you can kind of circle it with your finger. Uh, circle the ones that describe your spiritual experience, your walk with God. Uh, you might want to circle one of them, uh, you could circle more than one. Uh, there's no wrong answer here, no right answer, and sometimes we can experience some of these things at the same time. So, open up your booklet, have a look at the words, spend a few moments just having a look to see which ones you resonate with. Well, I wonder which ones you circled. Uh, tonight uh, is really about, uh, the talk is really about how the gospel really shapes uh, our spiritual experience. Uh, and as we try and uh, make sense of our spiritual experience, really there's, there's a danger. Uh, our Christian culture often has various measures of what a healthy uh, spiritual life looks like and we take those measures on uh, explicitly or implicitly sometimes without really having a think about whether they're measures that we really should be taking on. 
Uh, one of those measures is our feelings, how close, how intimate, how, how, how much do I kind of feel my relationship with God? How do we feel about it? Another measure is how uh, regular, how disciplined is my uh, devotional life, my Bible reading, my prayer. Am I doing it every day? Uh, the key to intimacy with God then is, uh, that's, is, is a real uh, healthy spiritual life, is that disciplined, quiet time. Uh, we hear these, those and other different measures taught about and uh, encouraged in us. We see, that, uh, see them exemplified in the lives of the great ones. And it can be inspiring, right? You hear a talk about someone's spiritual life and you think, yes, that's going to be me. And then reality sets in. Uh, Try as we might to kind of live up to these standards, we fail. We don't pray for three hours a day like uh, Martin Luther. Uh, uh, And so these examples, uh, this teaching, it turns from uh, inspiration into this kind of ride that we beat ourselves with as we uh, tell ourselves how hopeless we are as Christians and so we're either on the one hand constantly berating ourselves because we're not measuring up or we just give up altogether and so we can kind of live with this contradiction right Uh, on the one hand we think reading our Bible regularly is important, praying regularly is important but then on the other hand we're not really doing it uh, people uh, can live in this tension for years but ultimately it's, it's unsustainable and it's, and it's quite destructive. Something's going to give and often it's how we perceive our relationship with God. Instead of it being about joy and freedom, it can become about guilt and a kind of legalism. And the only people who can do this whole Christian thing are the strong-willed, right? That's sad. Christianity is only for the strong? That's not the gospel, is it? That's not the gospel. That's not the heart of God. But the question is, what should we expect from our Christian spiritual experience? Uh, What part should we uh, play in it? And what does uh, true spiritual discipline actually look like? And it's important we get our expectations right because if we don't we're bound to be disheartened and disappointed we're hoping for one thing a pony but have a look at the present there's no pony in there and if our kind of experiences and our expectations don't match up sometimes we think something's gone terribly wrong and to get real clarity on these questions of what our spiritual life should look like, we need to turn not to first to our Christian culture but to the gospel. And God's gospel, I think, reveals three profound truths about what our spiritual lives really look like. Uh, firstly, in Christ we are already deeply loved, more than we can ever know. And so spirituality isn't a thing we do to earn God's favour. That's the first thing. Second, in Christ, we're already spiritual. Spirituality is not something that we attain, something uh, we win. All Christians are by definition spiritual because we have the Holy Spirit of God. 
that's the second thing. Third thing, uh, Christian spirituality is less about specific practices or tangible or emotional experiences and more primarily about conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ, his character, his convictions. That's the goal of the Spirit's working us, to make us more like Jesus. And tonight we're going to spend our time kind of dwelling on these three uh, truths about our spiritual lives. So now we're going to turn to the word we had read. So if you've got it in front of you, it'd be good to have it out there. There's an outline on the other side uh, of the new sheet in the middle there to help you uh, uh, keep track of where we're going. And it's a thrilling passage, right? You've heard it read. It was amazing. But I'm just going to draw your attention just to four of the remarkable things. In it. Number one, uh, verse 31, God is for us. God is for us. No matter who or what is against us, God is for us. And we need to keep hearing that. If we're in Christ, God is for us, no matter what we feel, no matter what we face. And he will overcome and overwhelm any opposition, whether it's in our hearts or it's outside of us. But how can I be sure that God is for me. Well, number two, verse 32, he's given us everything. He's given us everything. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God's given us Jesus. That's how much he's for you. And if he's already done that, he will give us everything, including glory. Look at how Paul describes it here in uh, previous verses, in verses 14 to 17 of chapter 8. It's on the screen there. By God's grace, we've been adopted. We've been made children of God. That means uh, we're going to inherit all that he's promised, including glory. And the mark, the proof, the guarantee that will happen is that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And we know from elsewhere in the New Testament that that uh, spirit enables faith in Christ and empowers us to live the life that we're called to in him. Uh, In Romans 8, Christians are described uh, as in the spirit, right? We're in the spirit. Not a few Christians, not a selection, but all Christians. So if you're a Christian, you're not trying to be spiritual, You're not sometimes spiritual. You are spiritual because in Christ you have the Spirit of God. And all of your life is spiritual. Our spirituality then is not something that Christians need to kind of work hard for or strive for or attain. As a Christian you're already spiritual because you are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in you. Have a look at what the Apostle Paul says in the opening verses of Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many? Every spiritual blessing, right? Everyone. And notice what they are. Uh, They're not kind of these next level elite experiences, right, that the chosen few graduate to. It's adoption, it's redemption, it's forgiveness of sins. 
So there are no kind of levels or castes or tiers in Christianity, no in-crowd and out-crowd. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, if you, you have the Spirit and you have every spiritual blessing. God has given us everything, his Son, his Spirit, his glory, everything. That's number two. This is the third thing to notice. By grace through faith, God has justified us. Now to be justified uh, means to be declared as righteous, in right standing with him. You're blameless, guilt-free. It includes forgiveness, but it's more. It's, it's to have the charges removed. It's to be acquitted. It's to be declared not guilty. It's a stunning truth because the truth is that's not what we deserve, is it? We deserve the guilty verdict, but the Gospel says because of what Jesus has achieved for us in his life, death and resurrection, God declares all who put their day-to-day trust in Jesus not guilty. And it's a declaration, it's not based on our performance, our inherent worthiness as we heard from Beatrice. It's not a declaration I deserve, it's God's gift, his undeserved kindness, his gift, his grace. And so as Paul says here in verse 34, if we are justified, if we have truly been declared not guilty, then no one can condemn us, no one. Indeed, Jesus right now is interceding for us at the right hand of God. And if God is not going to condemn me, then no one can. And even more, I shouldn't condemn myself. Have you ever felt like a failure before God? I'm a hopeless Christian. When God looks at me and and sees me, he must be so disappointed. There's a right place for self-reflection and godly sorrow over our sin. We're not meant to stop caring about the sin in our lives but sometimes it can kind of crush us and paralyse us and that's the trap of the devil. It's a trap. He wants us feeling crushed. He wants us to uh, be uh, borne down by the weight of our own sin when the reality is Jesus has taken that weight off us. He wants you to hide from God in your guilt. He wants you to grind to a halt because following Jesus just feels too hard. But in the gospel, there's freedom. There's a freedom that comes from knowing that even when I fail, God lovingly and joyfully and freely forgives me in Jesus. No matter, no matter how many times I, I fall, this not guilty declaration uh, remains over me is spoken over my life as I continue in repentance and faith. How wonderful, how kind God has been to us. But why has God been like this? It's because, number four, he loves us. He loves us. He doesn't declare us not guilty kind of begrudgingly. He didn't send Jesus kind of annoyed it was necessary. 
He's done all these things because he loves us and because he loves you. And he'll never stop loving us. For nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. No things. And if that's true, then my sin, my feelings, and even my dodgy quiet times can't separate me from God's love either. Uh, when he did that little exercise, when he had a look at all those different words that might describe your spiritual life, I'm not sure uh, which one resonated with you the most. But whatever our uh, experiences tell us, the truth proclaimed in the Gospel is this, that you are more profoundly loved than you can ever know. That's the truth. Not in some vain hope that we might make ourselves worthy, but as we are, flawed, compromised, weak. On my desk in my office I have photos of my kids. This was taken a little while ago. I've got them on my phone, on my kind of wallpaper there. And when I look at them, these photos, no matter what they've done that day, and sometimes, you know, (laughs) my heart kind of feels like it will burst with love. What do you think God thinks and feels when he looks at you? There's no need to doubt. There's no need to speculate because you can see how much he loves you in Jesus. Look at what he's promised to do for you and he loves you. It's so wonderful when we hear stories of people like Beatrice finding that love. Brothers and sisters, it's so important that we're really deeply implanted in these gospel truths so that we're not deceived by our feelings and our experiences because they can do that sometimes. Sometimes we might feel full of joy for the Lord and when that's happening, being a Christian, that's kind of, it's kind of easy. Uh, sometimes it might feel like he's left the building but the reality is Uh, My standing with God in Christ is as good as it gets. Uh, And it's not to say that our feelings and our experiences are irrelevant, no. But it's crucial that we let the word of the gospel, the word of God, inform our experience rather than letting our feelings kind of push the reality of the gospel out of our lives, which they can do sometimes. And there is more to be experienced. We can grow our relationship with God. We can uh, be deeper in relationship with him. It's, even now, it's not as good as it gets in this life. But the answer isn't sort of a different type of spiritual experience or emotional experience. We, we might have those. We might have those. But the deeper experience we're encouraged to seek is a deeper trust a deeper knowledge of God's love, a more secure and empowering hope. 
have a look this week at the, Paul, at the prayers that Paul prays for the churches. They're all about those things, knowing the love of God more and more, knowing the hope we have in him, grasping uh, that promise of glory. And as we kind of turn to God's word, we see that God's goal for us isn't actually more intense feelings, a more extraordinary uh, spiritual experience or a a disciplined devotional routine. You know, if you're praying and reading the Bible five hours a day, you've kind of next step new creation. I'm not saying that these things won't form part of our Christian lives or we shouldn't seek them. There can be incredible moments of emotional intimacy and spiritual experiences. They're described in the New Testament, but they're not the goal. And if you make them the goal, I think you're missing the point of what God is calling us to. And if you're missing the point, you may end up disappointed and disillusioned if you don't receive those things. Because God's spiritual goal for us is actually set out just before these verses in verse 29 of chapter 8. And it's on the screen. For those God who knew, he also predestined. Why? To what end? To be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You can see the goal there, right? For you and for me. The destiny for which he has chosen us is to be like Jesus. And there's lots of things that are working against that goal in our lives. The Bible tells that the whole, whole world is under the power of the evil one in 1 John 5 and the world exerts pressure on us to conform to it. And we saw examples of that this week, right? As uh, Sam mentioned, to find our security, satisfaction, our affirmation there. But God has chosen and predestined us to be like Jesus. What does that conformity look like? We could spend lots of time talking about what it means to be like Jesus. Lots. But to kind of summarise, it's conformity to Christ's character. That's the Spirit's working in us, to be like Jesus, his character. You read Galatians 5 where the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it means to be conformed to Christ. It's conformity to Christ's convictions, love for God and for truth, hatred of falsehood and evil and injustice. It's conformity to Christ's concerns, seeking the kingdom of God first, loving others over yourself, putting their needs first. They're his concerns. I could go on, but this is God's spiritual goal for you to be more like Jesus. And this kind of conformity to Jesus, it doesn't sort of happen just in the classroom or in the abstract uh, by reading books. It's worked out in everyday life, right? As we relate to each other, as we approach situations with that uh, God mindset. Here at church, uh, with your family, uh, with your friends at uni, or at work, whatever context God has put you in. It's worked out when you're tired. And those who are in Christ Jesus, we strive no longer to live according to the flesh, but to live by the Spirit. It's conformity to Christ. So how are you living? 
So let me just summarise. In Christ we're deeply loved, more than we can ever know. And so spirituality isn't something, it isn't a set of religious rituals, good deeds that we do to earn God's favour. You're already loved. Spirituality is not something you attain as a Christian because you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need to become a spiritual person. If you're in Christ, you are a spiritual person. And I hope that's good news for you. I hope it gives you a sense of relief. Maybe you've been feeling guilt over not having a regular quiet time, not being godly enough or disciplined enough, or maybe because you don't feel very spiritual. You're not feeling the feelings. The Gospel of Jesus is good news. God loves you. He's done what we could never do in Jesus. You are spiritual and able to walk in Jesus because of his empowering, indwelling spirit. Three, authentic spirituality is primarily about conformity to Christ and that's intensely practical. It's about putting off the ways of the world and living in accordance with the spirit who dwells in you. It's more about letting God's word shape your character and your convictions rather than getting through the Bible in a year. Though that's a good thing to do, just not the goal. It's more about cultivating prayerfulness than making you get up early so you can pray two hours before you start your day. Again, that's a good thing to do, but not the goal. It's more about actually living out what Jesus uh, teaches than knowing all the answers to the tricky Bible questions. Again, good thing to do, but not the goal. It's more about being kind and gentle and generous than maximising these intense feelings towards God. Although if God blesses you with that, that's a great thing too. Just not the goal. It's about conforming to the image of Jesus as you move through each day, each week, each year, in every part of your life. Now I just want to kind of finish tonight with just to kind of spark a few ideas of what it looks like to grow in conformity to Jesus. Um, and you might want to think further about this in your own time. First, conformity to Jesus is the work of the Spirit and two big ways he does that is through the Scriptures and through prayer. Now, when I did this talk, it was, a part, it was the first in a three-part series and we won't do that here tonight. This isn't like talk one or three tonight. Uh, but if you want to dig, uh, uh, go a little further and you want those, I think the talks are available online so you can have a look at those We'll listen to those later. So first, conformity to Jesus is the work of the Spirit through God's Word and prayer. But also, uh, the New Testament says conformity also comes through training, practice. Here's Paul's advice to Timothy uh, as he kind of prepares him for his ministry. Train yourself in godliness. There's the training word. Uh, For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Uh, Christian author uh, John Ortberg has written a very helpful book uh, called The Life You've Always Wanted and he kind of reflects on these ideas of training yourselves in spiritual disciplines as we seek to conform our lives to Jesus. And he gives uh, some examples of what 
training uh, could look like. Uh, If loving uh, people takes energy and you're too tired to do it, well, maybe you need to practice a spiritual discipline of sleep. Get more sleep so you're a nicer person to be around. That's very practical, right? Uh, If you lack joy, then maybe you need to practice a spiritual discipline of celebration. It's not something you just have to wait on. It's something you can deliberately foster in your life. Uh, Celebrate God's goodness from time to time by eating the food you love, listening to music that really lifts your soul. And as you do those things, don't just enjoy the experiences. Reflect on the good giver who gave them and give him thanks. Make those things a spiritual experience. Do you want to cultivate patience? Uh, There's a book, uh, this lady, Adele Alberg-Colhoun, and she suggests if you want to cultivate patience, intentionally place yourselves in situations that require patience. Now, that's really hard to do in a world where we're kind of speeding from one thing to the other all the time, But how about when you're at the supermarket next time, choose the longest line. Do it on purpose. Uh, For me, uh, this is one suggestion and this is a hard one. Get your kids to help you with cooking. That always takes longer. Uh, Here's another one. Try the spiritual discipline of driving on purpose in the slow lane and don't overtake. Just stay there. It's not that Jesus would necessarily drive in the slow lane. He's got other modes of transport, being the Son of God. But uh, Jesus was patient, right? And by choosing to drive in the slow lane, or, or whatever it is you want to practice, you can grow that spiritual discipline of patience. And when you're kind of patient in the small things, it's like these stepladders, right? You get to the big things when it kind of really counts for when you're in conflict at home or with a brother or sister in church, when someone's being obnoxious to you at work or at uni, then it's really important that you're patient or even when you're waiting for God in, in prayer. Do you want to be more other person-centred? Well, maybe you could practice the spiritual discipline of just listening to people. It's hard for some of us to listen. We want to kind of share our opinions, uh, tell jokes, have our needs met. Uh, That's our kind of default interaction, is to make it about us. Perhaps you can practice consciously listening to people and asking questions about them so you can be more other person-centred. If you want to grow in generosity, here's here's, here's a, a task for you. Try the spiritual discipline of, gov- uh, of doubling your giving for a month, what you give away. Now, it doesn't have to be to church, but that would be okay if you wanted to do that. Now, uh, when you do it, do it as a challenge, but with a greater goal of cultivating generosity in your life. And I reckon maybe if you did it for a month, you realise, well, actually... I've got more space in my budget than I I thought I would. And so I go, next month, double it again. You might not be able to do that. Maybe it feels too hard 
And maybe it is too hard. Maybe you need to set yourself a smaller goal. But the fact that it feels hard is why we need to go into training, right? And bear in mind that the Spirit of God uh, can do work in us far more than we can imagine. But you have to train. So what are you going to do to start training? Uh, And if you need to start small, do it. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Just because you can't do that thing, don't give up. Start with this thing. And you can see how this kind of approach gives us a much more holistic picture of the spiritual life. It's not just about uh, extraordinary feelings or or experiences or a, a daily quiet time. It's about training all your spiritual muscles, one workout at a time, as you conform to the Lord Jesus Christ. How about I pray that he helps us all do that? Loving Father God, we... We thank you for that just wonderful news in the Gospel that in Christ we are deeply loved. We are already spiritual. We're not guilty. We thank you that nothing can stand against us because you're for us. Help that really shape who we are and how we approach our spiritual lives. And Father God, we want to be like Jesus. So by your Spirit, help train us Help us want to train in uh, everything we do. Help us this week uh, be specific and pick things where we want to grow to be more like Jesus. Amen.